0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order, review, and rank them from best to worst. I'm Ben.
1: And I'm Sarah.
0: You changed the intro. Did I? Yeah. Oh, I wasn't aware. (laughs) Thank you for listening to us today.
1: How are you doing, Ben? Besides catching me off guard with this new intro. (laughs) Uh,
0: I'm doing pretty well. Um, I'm engaged in a lot of Dungeons & Dragons related work right now.
1: That's not any different from any other week.
0: No, it is, because in addition to having an adventure I wrote go up on the DM's Guild for purchase, The Lost Temple of Tiamat. I am also engaged in, like, writing another adventure as part of, like, a promotional event for a gaming cafe in town that has teamed up with a local brewery. So they want this custom adventure to run at this tasting event. And so that's a whole thing. And that's that's a lot more on top of my usual D&D work mm. of running three sessions a week.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, our worlds have switched because you are super busy and i am not
0: that's correct
1: i was laid off from my job the week before halloween exactly 1 week before halloween
0: womp womp.
1: <laughs> so i finished the spooky season with a bang mm. um, and so- you still
0: had like all that editing and work to do like cuz halloween's such a busy season for us on top of all of this stress
1: yeah, I mean, it worked out because uh, finishing up the Carmilla audiobook was a bit more work than I expected, but I think it turned out really, really well, especially at the conclusion, part five, as well as our special bonus episode, basically, on Vera West.
0: Yeah, I thought both of those turned out really well, and I guess part of that was you having the time to spend on them. <laughs> uh if you're curious about those listeners you can find them by going to patreon.com slash podcast and signing up at any level but the lowest is one dollar a month
1: we have a new patron as well
0: yes thank you to ava sumas who has recently signed up uh and she has been a longtime email correspondent as well so thank you ava
1: thanks ava And if you want to be as amazing as Ava and our other patrons, you can head to patreon.com slash screamscenepodcast. So, what are we watching this week, then? Well,
0: uh, it's a bit of a change from what I was expecting to do this week. Uh, An anonymous listener sent us a copy of The Phantom Speaks, which is the second half of a double feature from Republic Pictures. Uh, which we have already seen the first feature of. That was The Vampire's Ghost.
1: Thanks, listener. Thank you. I'm I'm so pleased I get to see this.
0: I'm hoping it's it's worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, Vampire's Ghost was something. Yeah, I think,
0: honestly, Vampire's Ghost was like a, a nice surprise. Yeah. Um, that was episode 129, and we ranked it at number 60. Uh, So
1: about like halfway through the list. Yeah,
0: just the lower part of the upper half of the list, or the upper range of what you would consider a middle-of-the-road movie on the list. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so The Phantom Speaks was released alongside the Vampire's Ghost in a double feature from Republic Pictures. Mm -hmm. And for more information about Republic, you can check back to our Vampire's Ghost episode. But in brief... The studio had decided to dip their feet into the horror movie waters again after their earlier attempt in 1944 with The Lady and the Monster, which was episode 117 and ranked at number 70.
1: At least Vampire's Ghost was better than Lady and the
0: Monster. Yeah, well...
1: It had neat cinematography, but that's about it.
0: mm Mm-hmm. Now, The Phantom Speaks is something of a hedged bet of a horror movie. It's a mixture of crime movie and horror movie in a very similar manner to Supernatural, which was episode 40 and ranks at 79 currently, Black Friday, which was episode 73 and was so much more crime drama than horror, we put it on the non-applicable list, and also Lady and the Monster.
1: What about Bowery at Midnight?
0: Well, it's not really akin to Bowery at Midnight. The thing that links all of the movies I just mentioned is the element of the mind or will or soul of a dead criminal possessing or transferring over to a living person to continue acting out its crimes. Ah, okay. So in Supernatural, that was like a a literal ghost possession, but in Black Friday and The Lady and the Monster, it was like a mad scientist brain swap or telepathic brain kind of deal. The director of The Phantom Speaks is John English who was, in fact, born in England in 1903, but moved to Canada at an early age. Oh. He first worked in the industry as a film editor, but got his shot directing serials in 1935 at Republic Pictures. In those days, it was typical for serials to employ two directors, often working on alternate days. Uh, This is obviously because, you know, a serial is had, you know, an episode coming out every week for upwards of 18 weeks. Mm -hmm. In the 1930s and 40s, English's partner was William Whitney. And the way that English and Whitney worked was that Whitney directed the action sequences while English handled dialogue scenes. Okay. They were regarded as the premier serial directing team directing 17 consecutive Republic serials that helped establish the studio as the top producer of serials. They took their material very seriously and didn't allow it to become uh, campy. Uh, They had a disregard for the directors of other serials who let a kind of goofiness creep into the format. Serials that English directed include Zorro Rides Again from 1937, Zorro's Fighting Legion from 1939, Dick Tracy Returns from 1938, Dick Tracy's G Men from 1939, Dick Tracy vs. Crime Incorporated from 1941, The Lone Ranger from 1938, The Lone Ranger Rides Again from 1939, Mysterious Dr. Satan from 1940, (laughs) The Adventures of Captain Marvel from 1941, and Captain America from 1944, which was the most expensive Republic serial ever made. Following disagreements due to a change in management at Republic's serial unit, English moved to directing feature films for Republic, primarily the B-movie westerns, which the studio was best known for. The Phantom Speaks is his only horror credit, in a career that went on to include a series of Gene Autry pictures at Columbia and a prolific stint on television before he passed away in 1969 at age 66. The film's screenplay is by John K. Butler, uh, the Republic Westerns and pulp crime author who had collaborated with Leigh Brackett on the screenplay for The Vampire's Ghost.
1: Okay, that's neat. There might be some thematic intermingling then
0: yeah it'll be interesting to see the vampire's ghost at least had like a intelligently written script so we'll see how much that carries over here and how much of that was lay bracket you know for sure as for our cast the leader of the cast is richard arlen the star of island of lost souls and the lady and the monster at age 46 he was a long way from being the young star of wings I feel like he gave a good performance in Lady and the Monster, if I recall correctly.
1: Yeah, I mean, he had a tough job, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. This is the last time we will be seeing him, uh, but his career would continue for a long time afterward in westerns on the big screen and the small screen until his death in 1976 of Emphysema. Appearing with Arlen in the film is Stanley Ridges who played essentially the exact same role he's playing in this movie in Black Friday.
1: Who does he play in Black Friday?
0: The kindly old professor who becomes possessed by the criminal brain. Okay. Or has the brain transplant or whatever. Yeah, yeah, He was pretty good in that. Yeah. He was very believable. He's doing the exact same thing in this movie.
1: What year was Black Friday?
0: 40, 1940.
1: So five years later. Yeah. Okay.
0: Our female lead is played by Lynn Roberts, who was a Republic Pictures stalwart and who we last saw in Dr. Renault's Secret. Oh. In a minor role as the criminal who sets off the plot is Tom Powers, who was a matinee idol in silent films in the 1910s. Is he related
1: to Tybone Power?
0: No. Okay. In the 1920s, he moved to Broadway and became a major star on the stage. After becoming ill with arthritis in the mid-1940s, Power moved back to the West Coast and resumed his film career, starting with the role of Barbara Stanwyck's husband and murder victim in 1944's Double Indemnity. He also appeared in The Blue Dahlia from 1946, Destination Moon from 1950... Oh, sweet! That's
1: That's a great movie.
0: Julius Caesar from 1953 and Donovan's Brain from 1953 <laughs> before his death in 1955 of heart failure.
1: Donovan's Brain is um the remake version like 50s version of Lady and the Monster. That's right, yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, One other actor I'd like to draw attention to is Pierre Watkin, who had been acting since 1924, has a very minor role in this movie, but I bring him up because he would go on to play the first live-action incarnation of Perry White in the Superman serials of the late 1940s. (laughs) Cool. Music for The Phantom Speaks is from a surprisingly high-quality source. Edward H. Plum is best known for his work at Walt Disney Studios. He served as the musical director of Fantasia, composed the incidental score for Bambi, uh, so think, like, the man's theme, and orchestrated the scores for many Disney films until his death in 1958. His scores were nominated for Oscars in the case of Bambi, Victory Through Air Power, Saludos Amigos, and The Three Caballeros.
1: So what is he doing here? Uh, Just had an off week, I guess? Is he already working at Disney at this point?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. He, uh, He did work at other studios, so I guess you could consider this moonlighting. Sure. So The Phantom Speaks was released with The Vampire's Ghost on May 10th, 1945. And as we mentioned in the Vampire's Ghost episode, this double feature did well enough that Republic would commission another horror double feature in
1: 1946. Cool. Well, let's dive in into this movie let's see the past examples of this type of movie of mm-hmm. like oh i'm being taken over by a by criminal um the ones that you mentioned only one of them is on the not applicable list
0: mm-hmm.
1: um so you know 75 percent chance that this is horror
0: and the top rated version of this trope that we have so far is
1: supernatural
0: is lady and the monster at number 70 oh yeah
1: okay Cool. Well, let's take a watch. If you guys want to watch along, too bad. Good luck. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And again, a big thank you and shout out to the anonymous listener who sent this our way. You're going to hear a brief musical interlude, and when we come back, we will discuss The Phantom Speaks. We will speak about The Phantom Speaks. Directed by Johnny English (laughs) from 1945.
0: See you on the other side, everybody.
1: Welcome back to Scream Scene. We just finished watching The Phantom Speaks from 1945, directed by John English. Ben, what did you think of this? Um, you know what?
0: I thought this was a fun little movie. Um, you know, for the fact that it's like an hour long or like hour and 10 minutes or whatever, like B picture, I think it's worth the price of admission. If we want to say it up front, I think it wasn't horror. I agree. Um, I think a more accurate description might be like a crime thriller with supernatural elements.
1: Yeah, this this is not horror. Um, if you want to kind of see it on a spectrum of like crime, thriller, supernatural, uh, you have the film Supernatural, which mm-hmm. is definitely horror, on one side, and then on the other side of the spectrum is Black Friday. Right. Now, I wouldn't say that The Phantom Speaks is as far away from horror as black friday but it certainly is still not in a horror
0: sphere no um i do think it does a better job at the crime film elements than like black friday or lady and the monster makes it a bit more cohesive but uh the way that it's presenting its its violence and its premise is not in a horror context it's it's certainly just in more of like you know, I think we've said this before about some of these movies, but this feels like a Batman story that Batman just didn't manage to show up in because <laughs> it's that sort of you know criminals with a weird uh, comic booky supernatural element thrown on top, right? Sure. But uh, let's let's talk plot before we dissect more.
1: So, can't argue with this. The film begins with a bang. Literally. Yes. Harvey Bugardis, which I kept hearing as Bugara, is, ke- <laughs> and Ryan Bugara is uh, one half of the BuzzFeed Unsolved team, so I thought it was funny, the similarity in the name
0: there. I kept hearing it as Bogartis.
1: Oh, yeah, I didn't usually hear the dus at the end. Mm. But if you read it, it looks like it says Bogartus, but they're calling it like... Boogardus, because it's like someone wrote it as Bogardus and was like, oh, well, I don't want it to be too on the nose with Humphrey Bogart.
0: Yeah, because that's so what So we'll I, say Boogardus. I kept hearing Bogart as in Humphrey.
1: <laughs> Harvey Bogardus is a bad guy who kills the man that his wife is having an affair with. He gets caught because his pockets have giant holes in them, and that drops some evidence that ties him to the man and to the killer to the killing and a couple witnesses a guy and his daughter in the park because uh, it's broad daylight in the park yeah um see him after the murder a psychic scientist
0: heavy Do- heavy quotation marks around the words psychic scientist
1: uh, i would say psychic scientist there we go yeah <laughs> dr renwick has made an appointment to see Burgardis before his execution. We just skipped over the whole trial and everything. Mm -hmm. And Daily Globe reporter Matt Fraser is sent to find out why this psychic scientist has made an appointment to see this man. Now, Fraser is already engaged to the doctor's daughter, Joan, hence probably why he shouldn't have this assignment.
0: Well... It's it's one of those things where, like, they put him on the assignment because they thought that, like, he could get them the inn. Yeah. Right? But it, it does quickly spiral into a conflict of interest. Yes.
1: Um, they also have a, they, in the Renwick's, they have a housekeeper named Cornelia. That's just important to note.
0: Mm-hmm. Renwick says there's no money in psychic science, but he does own a mansion and, hire like, has a servant on payroll. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Dr. Renwick explains to Matt that people's soul, that is their will and mind, live on after death, and he can communicate with them. And he says this through, like, you know, this is my theory, here's my, like, workroom. my workroom is just these curtains around a lamp and two chairs, so that you don't see much science. So at the very least, we're not getting all the vials and bubbling fluids to... Support mm-hmm. the idea of psychic osity, but it's very like where's the science and the scientist part, man like i, I don't I'm not seeing here yeah he's and I'm on your side here right. bud
0: he's a hundred percent just a spiritualist, yes. like there's nothing scientific about anything he's doing here at all. he does have doctor to
1: in his, his name, yes, um, and he is going to go see Bogartis because. This man, this criminal, will have the will to remanifest himself after death.
0: Yeah, I love the way he puts it that, like, other spiritualists have failed not because they sucked, but because the ghosts they were trying to communicate with didn't have enough will. It's, it's their fault.
1: Yeah. The doctor is correct. Bogartis does have the will. Um, and he shows up during a little uh, psychic session and he promptly manipulates the doctor into allowing possession, and thus begins the Bugardus killing spree. First, his own lawyer, and then his wife. Now, evidence is showing that it is, in fact, Bugardus committing these crimes. Um, The lawyer was recording his voice at the time of the murder, and he exclaims, Bugardus, no! Because when the possession happens, the doctor kind of doesn't go through a transformation sequence, but his face and voice kind of turn into, like, a a little bit like Bugardus's. And he has this weird habit with cigarettes, where he lights one, takes a puff or two, and then breaks it in half. Which, my guy, I don't know how much cigarettes
0: cost in the 40s, but that can't be economical. I mean, it was kind of next to nothing, because we hadn't started, like morally charging more money for them to try and um, discourage people from buying them.
1: Yeah, but this is like taking a box of chocolates and licking each one and putting them in, and then buying another <laughs> box of chocolates, and then you're not even finishing them. Yeah, he, he just
0: literally just takes one and puff. And dumps it. Yeah, it's... It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah.
1: Um, but it does allow kind of a unique trail for the police to follow. Kind of like the wet bandits, only with the cigarettes.
0: Yeah, he he... He would have a perfect alibi here, since he's possessing a whole other person and is dead, if it wasn't for the fact that he seems to have the most, like, distinct killing methods of anyone. (laughs) Like, his hat has to be in the exact way and so forth. To be fair, he is just shooting them.
1: It's not distinct. (laughs) that with a particular type of gun, he's just shooting them. Anyways, so, Matt reporter is following the case, and he does begin to suspect the doctor because the doctor didn't smoke before, now he does, and he's breaking them in half like this killer that the police are trying to catch does. During this time, Matt's paper ran a sensationalist story about the doctor's work under Matt's byline. So the doctor's family are pretty upset with Matt, even though he's not actually at fault, so Cornelia, the housekeeper, doesn't trust Matt at all. She does try to help the doctor, who she thinks is just ill and under stress. For example, by picking him up in the park after he's murdered someone. The dad who is the witness. Mm -hmm. The daughter just narrowly escapes, by the way. And this is like a three-year-old daughter who goes up to her dad, who had been trying to sleep on a bench, and goes, My daddy won't wake up. Yeah. Yeah. The doctor confides in Cornelia about needing to see the district attorney. He doesn't say, hey, I'm being possessed, but he is like, I need to see the di- district attorney. Like, there's, there's things going on. But when the doctor sends Cornelia home before the actual appointment, she calls Matt and tells him, hey, he's here to see the district attorney. Something's wrong. Like, I need your help. Matt rushes in, picks up the DA just in time, and puts him in his car and he's going to drive him home. But then the doctor pops up from the back seat with a gun, and I think this is the first time in a horror movie we've had this happen. Right, sure. Especially with it being such a trope later on, with like, like the man
0: with the hook for a hand, or well, the axe murder in the back seat, or whatever. It's that like magic teleporting serial killer ability that you get, where it's like, wait a minute, weren't you on the other side of Camp Crystal Lake three seconds ago? <laughs>
1: But Matt is quick on his feet. He crashes the car, and they capture the Doctor. Fast forward past a trial, the Doctor is now on death row. It seems he's pleaded guilty, rather than trying to claim insanity or anything like that. And Bogardus is in his head, kind of laughing at how he's going to leave the Doctor and keep haunting and keep inflicting his will on people to keep killing. When entering the execution chamber, the Doctor makes an exclaim, um, and he says the same words that Bigardus said when he was about to be executed, which was, that dirty rat had it coming, or something like that. And there's gonna be more! But he, he goes to the chair and gets electrocuted, and the film ends with a Bible quote about a man's soul being in his heart, not his mind, with something along those lines. The end.
0: Yeah. So my first reaction to this movie was that I thought it had the wrong ending. <laughs> what do you think the ending should be? So it, it doesn't really make sense to, like, put all this emphasis on the doctor going to the chair as well and, like, repeating all the motions from the start of the movie when we saw Bugardus go to the chair and having Bugardis talk about, like, my will is so strong that I can come back again. Is your will strong enough to come back, Doc? Uh, when there's no follow-up to that. Like, he gets killed, the end. Yeah. Like, I would have thought the only reason you would do scenes like this is so that after he gets electrocuted, the, like, newspaper editor could turn to Matt and be like, well, let's get back to the office, and Matt could be like, meh, let's get back to the office, see, meh, because he's being possessed by the criminal now. Like, otherwise, what are you doing?
1: Yeah, I think the implication, it definitely was not clear enough, Mm. but I think the implication was that the doctor was able to hold Bugardus in his body... To be electrocuted. That's why he exclaims the same words. Right. The state got two souls for the price of one. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely not clear. Throughout the whole movie, even from like the get-go, kind of some neat camera work with uh, the direction and cinematography. Mm-hmm. Um, but the lighting wasn't like eerie enough for me. Not even film noir enough for me.
0: I think there was a couple of moments in the movie that spoke to film noir, um, it it felt like a director who knows what he's doing and has talent doing what he can on like a short schedule and a low budget, right? Yeah. Like a lot of things, you know, there's a lot of sets that are being reused from other Republic pictures, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of the times, yeah, the lighting is just flat lighting.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're five years into classic american noir Mm -hmm. there are things i can point to to use as examples or as inspiration for lighting things yes even the fact that like the inciting murder happens in the middle of the day in a park yeah while there's a carnival going on off screen
0: yeah the worst possible time to or in place to murder someone
1: yeah like it reminded me of how that thomas jane Punisher yeah. movie, like the first one, spends so much time in daylight. Yes. Like, it's it could have been, like, something, but instead it was just during the
0: day. Yeah, because daytime is cheap. Yes, yeah. I think that this film does manage to pull off that film noir atmosphere a little better than... Black Friday, or Lady and the Monster. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, Lady and the Monster did manage to pull off the horror atmosphere a lot more, but that's because Lady and the Monster spends almost its entire first act setting up the scientist and his weird spooky castle and his experiments. And I think the thing that makes this movie work better than those earlier movies, even though it makes it less horror, is instead we start with the criminal. So that once the scientist gets possessed and the criminal starts doing things with his body, like, we understand. Because that was, like, our big problem with Lady and the Monster was, like, once Donovan was possessing the guy, it was like, right, but we don't know anything about Donovan or care about any of his shit, so why should we care?
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, And I think when Bigardus showed up, Mm -hmm. because there were a couple times where, like, he fades in. Uh, sitting on a chair, and then he also just pops in, uh, like, we pan left and come back and he's in a chair. Um, But he should have looked dead, Mm -hmm. or at least, like, electrocuted. He just looks like he's in his prison jumpsuit. And I I really wanted, like, don't you think it would have been cool if, um, obviously this is years off, but you know American Werewolf in London... Yeah. When his friend and like other victims show up and like they are just completely torn to shreds and his friend in particular gets like worse and grotier as time goes on. Yeah. That it would have been kind of neat to have something like
0: that. Yeah, I totally I totally agree and I think it's proof that this movie wasn't trying to be horror in any way, right? Because they're not being spooky or eerie or creepy with the ghost stuff no matter how much organ they're playing in the background.
1: <laughs> yeah, I did not mention that. There is a lot of a lot of organ, both diegetic and non-diegetic.
0: Yeah, and it's that particular type of organ that you would, like, associate with, like, a community church, right? Hammond?
1: Hammond organ? Yeah,
0: like a Hammond organ. And the movie tries to use it as, like, a leitmotif for Bogardus. Um, Which is
1: neat. Yes.
0: Uh, there's, like, the scene where he's about to kill the kid, and it's playing, like, happy, fun childlike music and the organ music at the same time that was kind of interesting yeah um and then there are like just a couple of scenes where you you know that they're kind of doing it for a laugh where like the organ music is happening and then we find out oh there's just someone playing an organ in the next room or whatever (laughs) yeah so i think it's a it's a fun little movie it's worth the watch if you can dive into the bootleg black market universe necessary to find it
1: into the deep web. Right,
0: exactly. You know, then I think it's 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 fine for what it is. Um it's I think mostly well written. Uh and I think it succeeds at telling the story it wants to tell it, with the exception of the ending, which is unclear.
1: I I think kinda of to speak to the writing, like Bugardus does have some neat lines yes. of like you may be losing your mind, but you're gaining mine. Yeah. Like, really fun stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I think Bogardis is the best character in the movie because he's got that kind of, like, overconfidence that can make a character really fun. Like, one of my favorite moments... And, and this movie goes weirdly dark at times. Like, yes. there's the shooting of the kid's dad, or murder of the kid's dad while, like, the kid is, like, five feet away kind of thing. And then there's another scene where... Renwick is, like, telling Bugardus to, like, get out of his head or else. And Bugardus is like, or else what? Because, like, he's oh. dead. What can you do to him? And Renwick pulls a gun and points it at himself. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Bugardus' will is too strong and he prevents the, the doctor from killing himself.
1: Yeah. So I think, like, there's a good moment, too.
0: Yeah. It's, it's fine. Oh. Um, but certainly it's going to go on the non-applicable list.
1: Yes, I would agree with that. Um, well, if you want to see the other movies on the Not Applicable list, um, such as, you know, Black Friday, uh, you can go to com. There you can find links to the other episodes we've mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. If you would like to contest this or any other ranking, or anything we've had to say about these movies, you can drop us a line through our Ask box on Tumblr, You can email us directly at ScreamScenePodcast at gmail.com, or talk to us on Twitter at underscore ScreamScene.
0: ScreamScene updates every Wednesday on SoundCloud, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to the show through our RSS feed. Word of mouth is the best way for a podcast to grow its audience, so we'd really appreciate it if you enjoy the show to... Tell a friend about it, whether that's over social media or around the water cooler. If you are still employed with an in an office that has a water cooler.
1: Um, <laughs> oh, I thought you were making a joke about me being laid
0: off. No, I was making a joke about the fact that, like, the ubiquitous, like, cubicle job that office space made fun of is not really a thing anymore. Well, there's
1: not so much a water cooler. At least at my office, it was the um, coffee machine. Sure. Anyways, it was fancy. You just hit a button and then coffee came out. It wasn't like a like a pour coffee thing. It made it on demand.
0: <laughs> so, if you have one of those fancy coffee machines, the next time you're standing around <laughs> it, tell someone about Scream Scene. Uh, or, if you have the means, head on over to patreon.com slash podcast, where you can sign up to become one of our patrons. Just like Ava. Right. At the $1 level, you'll get a thank you on the show like Ava did, as well as access to our recent... Uh, October Halloween special content uh, at the $5 level. There's weekly bonus audio. The $10 level gets you access to little short fiction and unique writings that are published to the Patreon
1: and nowhere else.
0: That's right. So that's patreon.com slash scream podcast.
1: All right. So we did a minor jump back into time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a, a little time warp.
0: That's right. Now let's do the time warp again and go back to the present. So next week, uh, we are watching the final serious entry in the original Universal Monsters franchise. Okay. It's House of Dracula, uh, a monster rally film, and it stars all the old favorites, minus Boris Karloff. Sure. And Bela Lugosi, now that I think about it. Fair
1: Um, so then the ones after this one from Universal are the Abbott and Costello type of films. Exactly, yeah. Okay, interesting, cool. You won't want to miss it.
0: Yeah, don't miss next week's episode, especially if you're a Universal Monsters fan.
1: We'll see you next time, Creatures of the Night. Bye! Bye! Bye!